If you've got your Bibles with you today, can you open up to uh, 1 Samuel? And we're reading in chapter 12, verses 16 to 25. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you'll realise what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you do persist in doing evil... Both you and your king will perish. Run! No one heard. So Dominic put his fingers in his mouth and gave a shrill whistle. His relatives raised their heads. He pointed at the darkening sky. They looked up and stared. Find cover, they yelled. Men, women and children dropped their hose and scattered. Dominic followed. Farthest out in the farmer's fields, he had the longest distance to run. The black swirling clouds moved with frightening speed, casting a cold shadow over the land. Was it the great lion of God? that let out such a rumbling roar from the blackness. Screaming, hands over their heads, people ran faster and faster. A shaft of jagged light flashed and struck the middle of the barley field. Flames shot up from the ground and the stalks of ripened grain caught fire. Something hard struck Dominic in the head. Then another and another, like small pebbles hurled at him from an open hand. And the air grew cold, so cold his breath came like puffs of smoke as he panted. His lungs burned. Could he make it to cover before one of those bolts of fire struck him down? Three questions I have for you this morning. What are you going to learn today? What is God going to say to you? And what are you going to do? Let's pray. Father, we just come into your word now and we we seek your hand in the writing. We seek your understanding in the learning. And Father, we seek to be more like Jesus. I pray, Father, as we listen this morning, that these words will be words from you, Lord, that we can leave here today and talk to you more intimately and to be brighter 
lights for you and shine. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the story I read to you just, just now portrays a fellow by the name of Dominic and his community caught in a storm. And in today's passage that Amy read to us in verse 18, it said that Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain. And, you, you know, you think, well, what is this all about? What is our passage telling us this morning? So in our passage of scripture today, we, we see Samuel, he had been interceding for the nation of Israel. In fact, the nation of Israel had come to Samuel and told him they had made a mistake and they asked him to pray for them in, in verse 19, in which Samuel replied in verse 23, I never stopped praying for you. So basically we see here that Samuel had been interceding for the nation of Israel. And this morning the theme of the message is And I call that this interceding, this prayer interceding, an umbrella of prayer. So we see that Samuel had been interceding for the nation of Israel here in our passage today. But the question I ask myself is, why did he do so? I mean, the Israelites turned from God time and time and time again. And yet Samuel prayed, he continued to pray. Do we give up? You know, you try and try and and they just not seem to be getting anywhere. Do you say, oh, well, I've done what I can. But Samuel kept on praying. So to answer that question this morning a little bit about yet he, he continued to pray and how can we encourage ourselves to continue that commitment of prayer, we need to understand some things first. And we're going to um, move into a space called historical context today of our passage. So bear with me today. A fair bit of this message will be around historical context. So what does historical context do? Well, up on the screen, we've got... It presents moods, attitudes and conditions that existed at a certain time in history. So it gives you that context around how it was, when it was written and what the attitudes and moods and conditions were. And also this historical context that I'll give you today impacts your understanding, our understanding of the story and its themes. So we're going to move into that space and then we'll, then we'll hit the, uh, the deal for the day, okay? So, let's go. Old Testament people lived under two basic forms of national government. The first form was a theocracy. That is, God himself served as Israel's king and ruler. God gave his people a law to live by. We know this. God led his people in battle. God made every individual and community responsible to hold each other accountable to perform the moral, social and religious obligations set out in the law. And when he led them in battle, he often intervened miraculously to ensure victory when they trusted in him. This understanding of the invisible God back then, directly, the invisible God directly ruling his people, was expressed by Samuel, who was shocked and outraged when the people demanded a human king, as we learn in Saul. Samuel recalled the Israelites' reaction when they saw an enemy move against them. In 1 Samuel 12, 12, he said, You said to me, that's Samuel, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now what's interesting is that the nation of Israel wanted a king. 
someone to be in control of them. And if you look at the history of Israel, you see that God, as king, had actually given his people human leaders, not such a king. For example, God had appointed Moses and Aaron, who brought Israel out of Egypt. Later in the land, Israel had suffered oppression from human enemies, but oppression had come only when the people turned away from God. When Israel turned back to God, the Lord sent the leaders known as judges. People like Gideon, we talked about a little while back, Barak, Jephthah and Samuel. Through leaders like these, God won military victories for his people. The judges were charismatic leaders sent by God as an expression of the Lord's own kingship over Israel. That's the first form of government. Theocracy. God himself served himself as, kings, as Israel's king. Now, the second form of government came into play when they asked for a king. This is where the establishment of a monarchy for the nation of Israel was initiated. This was the initiation of a different form of government for the nation of Israel. Remember, up to this point, the nation of Israel had been in a theocracy or under the control of God the Father. God had called the shots, which is the way it should be. From this point on, the human leaders to whom Israel would owe allegiance to would, like the leaders of pagan nations around them, hold office not by virtue of God's call, but by virtue of birth. In other words, in this form of government, the leaders would no longer be chosen by God, but instead kings would pass the right to rule onto their children with no consideration of ability or of moral character. And we see that from, kings, from King Saul onwards. So when in Samuel's day the people of Israel called for a king, this is important, they performed a foolish act. That is, they showed a tragic lack of spiritual understanding. And you might say, how did they do that? Well, first, let's have a quick look. Israel's call for a king was in fact a rejection of God's traditional role in her national life. The desire of the people was for a king so that in 1 Samuel 8.20 it says, this is what they want. We will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. Yet from the start, God had called Israel to be different from all other nations, as Moses had said in Deuteronomy 4.7. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Can I say it was Israel's direct relationship with God that set her apart from all other nations. In calling for a king, Israel, in effect, rejected God's direct rule and denied her unique heritage. That's one thing. Second, with a king as the visible head of the nation, many would begin to rely on him, that person, rather than God. Reliance would shift from God to the standing army and the fortifications that the king would build. Erosion of reliance on God alone became a real and present danger for the people of Israel. And third, an insti the institution of the monarchy introduced unnecessary danger. Power and influence were focused on a human leader, a single individual who in turn could influence the nation. An evil king with the power of life and death over his people, could make wickedness appear 
to pay as he rewarded those who were loyal to him rather than to God. Now the thing is, this is amazing. In Deuteronomy, way before here, Moses, Moses foretold a day when the people would demand the king and the law established requirements designed to minimise the dangers. And that's why the law was established, to minimise these dangers. And this is what he said. I'm going to read to you Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20. When you enter the land, this is Moses, the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you or who is not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself, get this, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he, is, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Hey, we got the law with us as we live for our heavenly father in, this, in his kingdom. Here we see from Deuteronomy, from Moses, is that basically Israel's king was to surrender himself to the king of kings, our heavenly king, God the father. A king who would not surrender to God could and would bring disaster on the nation. So the motives of the people of Israel in demanding a king were wrong and they lacked the spiritual insight to see the implications of their request. Yet, God granted it. But even though God had granted their wish, Samuel still warned them of how important it was to still be obedient to God while they were under the rule of their king. If they were obedient to God... He would take care of them. So having affirmed Samuel's credibility as a prophet, the people now had to accept his breakdown of the situation that they find themselves in, as Amy read to us today. What Samuel began to do in chapter 12, open your Bibles up, put your finger in there, we're going to move through this now. What Samuel began to do is he reviewed Israel's history from Moses to his own day and emphasised what the Lord in his grace had done for them. He reminded them, and don't we know that we need reminding many, many times how often we forgot. He reminded them that it was God, not the people, who appointed Moses and Aaron and who enabled them to do the mighty works that they did for the people of Israel. Samuel, he wasn't afraid to point out Israel's sins and then challenge them to devote themselves to the Lord and to his covenant. It's often been said that the one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. And Samuel, you know what? He didn't want the people to make the same mistake. But this was more than a lecture on history. 
As we pick up in verse 7, it was also a court trial. Verse 7 reads, Now therefore, Samuel says, stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. Samuel's words in verse 7 have a judicial flavour. Stand still, he says. It carries the idea of stand up, court is in session. And reason, he mentions reason. May I reason with you before the Lord? Means to decide a case of legal action. Samuel was going to prove to the people that the Lord had been righteous and faithful in all his dealings with Israel, but the, but the Israelites had been faithless and disobedient. The Lord had covenanted with no other nation on earth except Israel. And Israel's obedience to that covenant made possible their enjoyment of God's promises and blessings. How we on. These blessings included living in the promised land, being protected from their enemies, having fruitful fields, flocks, wonderful flocks, herds, families. If they failed to obey, the Lord would discipline them and take away their blessings. Samuel reminded them of how Israel in Egypt cried out to the Lord for help. And he sent Moses and Aaron. God delivered his people and took them to Canaan and gave them victory over the inhabitants of the land. But once they were in the land, they compromised their faith and joined in worshipping the false gods of their neighbours. So God had to discipline them in verses 9 and 11 today. Then Samuel went into the book of Judges with its seven cycles of disobedience Discipline and deliverance. Judges 2, 10 to 23. Samuel's point in reviewing Israel's history was to show them that God always provided a leader when one was needed. And the nation wouldn't have a need, a judge, if the people had been faithful to God. So how should have Israel responded to this kind of national history that was there? They should have expressed gratitude to the Lord and trusted him for his continued care. They should have confessed their sin of unbelief and trusted him alone. But what did they do? No sooner did the Ammonites attack, attack than the Jews asked for a king and exchanged the rule of the Lord, their king, for the leadership of a mere man. God gave them what they asked for. But Israel lost something in the transaction. What did Israel lose? They lost direct relationship with God the Father. However, all was not lost. God is never taken by surprise and he would not desert his people for his name's sake. If the people would fear the Lord and follow him, he would continue to care for them and use their king to direct and protect them. Now, I know I've spent most of the message time this morning on the backstory, But I think it is very important so we understand what is happening next. This is where we get a prayer that made a difference. At this time, Scripture tells us that Samuel demonstrated the awesome power of the Lord by praying up a storm. And this storm was during the dry season of wheat harvest. 
mid-May, mid-June. Samuel was proving to the people that God could do anything for them if they trusted him and obeyed, and that a mere king was helpless apart from the Lord. When the nation of Israel had seen this, they began to beg Samuel for deliverance. They began to repent, and their repentance at that time was sincere. Then we see in verses 20 to 25 today, Samuel actually moved the people from fear to fear not. As he encouraged the people to accept the situation that their unbelief created and make the most of it. I ask a question to us this morning. How many times in our own lives do we get what we ask for and then wish we didn't have it? The Lord would not reject or forsake his people because of his holy covenant and his great faithfulness. God's purpose was to use Israel to bring glory to his name and he would fulfill that purpose. The Jewish people knew the terms of the covenant. If they obeyed, the Lord would bless them. If they disobeyed, he punished them. Either way, God would be faithful to his word. But here's the thing, the major issue was whether Israel would be faithful. They had made a mistake, but God would help them if they feared and obeyed him. Samuel made it clear that no matter what they decided, he would obey the Lord. And part of his obedience in all of this would be a simple thing, we might think. But it was faithfully praying for the people and teaching them the word of God. The word of God and prayer always go together. Samuel's heart was broken. But as a faithful servant of the Lord, what did he do? He interceded for the people and sought to lead them in the right way. This is the umbrella of prayer in action. In fact, he told them that he had never stopped praying for them. Dear fellow Jesus followers here today, I want you to listen to this. For God's people not to pray is to sin against the Lord. Verse 23, Samuel says, I will not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. How is your prayer life going? Are you praying for others? Particularly prayer for those in authority, in leadership. Or your workplace, your neighbour, friends, each other. We don't have to wait for a specific need to pray to God. Why not pray that each other's ambassadorship for, for Jesus Christ will grow and be presented with opportunities and that the Holy Spirit will equip and strengthen not only yourself but each other. Leonard Ravenhill said this in his book, Why Revival Tarries. I love this. No man is greater than his prayer life. Poverty-stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here, says Leonard. In the place of prayer, 
We have many organisers, but few agonisers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. The ministry of preaching is open to a few, but look what he says next. The ministry of prayer, the highest ministry of all human offices, is open to all. So in closing today, we can learn something from Samuel. And that is even though the people thought they had no need for him, Samuel did not stop praying for the people of God. Samuel did not collapse his umbrella and throw it away. He kept it up. Just like Samuel, may I encourage you afresh this day to also pray for this nation that we find ourselves in. Very sticky spot at the moment. Pray for this nation that we find ourselves in. The community that we find ourselves in. The church we find ourselves in. The family you find yourself in. The school or workplace that you find yourself in. The list, it can go on and on. For the lost and each other. Samuel's commitment strikes a huge deep chord within my heart. Because I'll be honest, there are times you get so busy that you forget to pray. You forget to talk to God. It strikes a deep chord within my heart. And I do not want to sin against the Lord. I hope it strikes a deep heart in your chord, a chord heart in you, in you today. How often do we forsake not only others, but our Lord by failing to pray for them? That's my question for you today to take away, to think about, to reflect, and to action. I believe that we should have someone specific to pray for by name every day. Do you have someone on your heart today that God has burdened you with? If you do, great. We will take a few minutes soon to pray for them. If not, if not then why not? Like Samuel demonstrated, we are to be under each other's umbrella of prayer. I know that I am under Rosalind, my wife's, umbrella of prayer. And I know that I'm under the umbrella of my mum and dad's prayer. We are to intercede for each other because intercession prayers are prayers that make a difference. Take, cast your minds back and remember that Uriah, about Uriah, the Hittite, the, fellow that, the husband of Bathsheba that King David had an affair with. Remember he was in the hottest part of the battle when his fellow soldiers withdrew from him on the command of King David. We do the same to our fellow soldiers when we withdraw our prayers from them. I'd like you to take a minute or two to pray for somebody that's on your heart right now. Be their umbrella. So I'll leave it for a minute or two and then Andrew is going to come up and lead us in our church umbrella of prayer this morning to intercede for many of our folk and for this nation. So take a moment now 
and pray for that someone special or whatever's on your heart that is burdened for you. And then, then Andrew will come up.